some of the most common powers that people believe the federal government has, but actually doesn't? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that one's such a huge topic. I mean, you, you look through the federal department of... Right. And almost all of them are unconstitutional, whether it be the Federal Department of Education or Health and Human Services or and on and on. There's so few actual enumerated powers. It would be a much easier conversation to say, what are they authorized to do? But and, is, how do they get to the, I mean, is it a matter of twisting the interpretation? How do they justify this? Yes. Well, little preview, I guess. Lecture number two of my course goes into five excuses for unlimited power. Mm -hmm. And then there we talk about things like the necessary and proper clause, for example. That Congress shall have the power to do anything that shall be necessary and proper. And if you stop there, well, that sounds like they have unlimited power. Right. I once had someone share that with me saying, see, Congress does have the authority. It's right there. They have power to make do anything necessary and proper. I said, would you mind reading the next seven words, please? For carrying into execution the foregoing powers. Oh, wait a minute. So that's not, they have all power to make any laws necessary. It's any laws necessary for this list of enumerated powers. Oh, that's suddenly a very limited power. Yeah. But when you take it out of context like that and just read, well, this is now called the elastic clause Mm -hmm. because they figure they can stretch it to fit any power they need because of that narrow reading of it. They didn't read the whole context. Yeah, that's very common. And there are several clauses within the Constitution that they've done that with that honestly are disingenuous applications of the wording that's in there. There's no reasonable argument to claim, for example, that the necessary and proper clause really is a broad grant of power to do anything they feel necessary. Right, which they've done, though. And um, do you find that a lot of people, when you break this news to them, it's like, oh, by the way, the Department of Education, the Department of Energy... The Department of Health and Human Services, none of those are constitutional. I get two, two <laughs> reactions to that, depending on where they are, I guess, mentally, politically. On the one hand, those that feel like, yes, that's great to have the federal government far less involved in our lives. And I, I appreciate that response. But it's not uncommon to have people say things like, but it's so needed. Who would watch over these issues if the federal mm, government wasn't yeah. doing it? And for that... We hear that a lot. My favorite quote from Washington's farewell address, he talks about, if in the opinion of the people, the disposition or allocation of constitutional powers be in any particular wrong, in other words, if we didn't give them the power they needed to have, let it be corrected by the amendment process yes, and not by usurpation. For though this in one instance may be the instrument of good, it is the customary weapon by which free governments are destroyed. So going back to their argument, it's so needed. Well, if it's so needed, then we need an amendment to the Constitution to formally and properly grant that power through the constitutional amendment process. We don't just steal the power because we feel like it's needed. And as as Washington said there, for though this, in one instance, might be the instrument of good, it's the way in which free governments are destroyed. Yeah. That's what is happening, is this usurpation. We see something that, oh, maybe the federal government needs to do this. Maybe it doesn't. We never have that debate on whether or not to ratify an amendment granting it to them. They just take the power and start doing it. And I imagine most people don't even know that we were designed in a way where the states were supposed to have more power than the central government. But this was always, correct me if I'm wrong, this was always an issue, right? How much central government power should there be, right? Oh, yes. 
Just going back to our early history, before the U.S. Constitution under the Articles of Confederation, the states were so jealous of their power and not allowing the central government to have power, the Articles of Confederation were really recommendatory. There was no power in them. Yes. Congress had duties, but no power. They could recommend to the states, I think we should do this or that, and the states could choose voluntarily to do so or not. This became a huge problem in our war for independence against Great Britain when Congress had the task of organizing and arming our our military mm-hmm. to defend ourselves against the British. They couldn't tax to pay for it. Right. They would beg the states, please send funds in for the war. We've got to provide our for our troops' needs. And the states would raise some taxes, spend some money, and hey, if there's anything left over, maybe we should send this over to help Washington out with his war. It didn't work. So it was almost like little countries. Yes, kind of, loosely were, tied with a, an agreement yeah, to collaborate. Which is how the Constitution did eventually come about, right? The, that is the exactly right. Use. So when they recognized the Articles of Confederation were inadequate mm-hmm. and that we really need some national enforcement power, if we're going to have a central government in charge of these things, they need to have the power to do the things we're asking them to do. So then we had the... Constitutional Convention of 1787, in which they created a hybrid. Now, they define the terms federal and national as two different things. Today, we use them interchangeably. They're not the same thing, though. Federal, they defined as, this is voluntary participation. It's powers left to the states. National, the national government has some enforcement power. And they created this hybrid that in the list of enumerated powers— the federal government really has national enforcement power. But then by the 10th Amendment, anything not on that list is left to the states or the people. So it's partly federal, partly national. And then since that time, it's become more and more national. And the federal leaving to the states all the other powers has really been diminished. The state's power has shrunk as their power shrinks as the federal government takes more power to themselves. Ever hear someone say, the system's broken? It's not. We have a reckless, corrupt government because elected officials are not following the Constitution. Here at the John Birch Society, we believe the only way to liberty, prosperity, and national sovereignty is to not only understand what's in our founding documents, but demand that every elected official adheres to them. The Constitution is America's only solution. Join JBS and change America. Find us at jbs.org.